been a lot of talk, especially in tech right now, on whether the SDR model is still alive and kicking or if we're going to see the death of that model. And with all the layoffs recently, especially in SaaS, we've been seeing a lot of SDRs get laid off and not replaced. And I've personally seen a trend with a lot of companies deciding to go full cycle sales with their entire sales team. So we're going to talk about that a little bit more before we get to it. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Jason Bay. You're listening to Outbound Squad. I, in this podcast, want to help you turn complete strangers into paying customers. So we talk all about outbound and you know, sending cold emails, making cold calls, using social land meetings. And then we talk all about, as an account executive, how to run good discovery, proper demos, negotiation, multi-threading, all of that kind of stuff. I have an awesome guest today. I've been waiting to record a podcast with him for a long time. Kyle Coleman, he's the SVP of marketing at Clary. I think one of the biggest things you'll listen to hearing about Kyle is he's one of those leaders that I think is awesome because he can get very, very tactical. So at Clary, they do something a little bit different than most orgs. The SDR team rolls up into marketing. So Kyle was an SDR himself, so he knows how to prospect. He knows how to lead people doing the prospecting, and he knows how to lead the people leading the people doing the prospecting along with managing a marketing department with over 50 folks at Clary. So we dig into a couple cool topics. One, I've been on a rant and a theme with multi-threading and just running tighter sales cycles and involving more people. And he actually gave the perspective of him as a buyer. So when people are selling things to the Clary marketing department, how he likes it when people multi-thread with him, when they're working with people on his team. We talked about AI, of course, and chat GPT. And then in the last little part, we talked about the death or the future of the SDR model. We dig into a bunch of really great stuff there. So without further ado, let's get to the interview with Kyle. Thank you for tuning in. If you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, I'd appreciate a quick rating, honest rating, review. Let us know what you think, and uh, let's get to the interview. With topics with you is like where to start, you know, we had like a brief, you know, kind of prep chat to this, of course. But one of the things I've always known about you is um, for the longest time, I was seeing your content. We just had never talked for the longest time until maybe six months ago. I can't remember. We did a webinar, but uh, I've always been a big fan of you are an executive that can get extremely tactical. Uh, and you know, salespeople appreciate that so much, right? It's like, don't just talk about, you know, the fact that I should be prospecting more right now or doing this, like you get extremely tactical. Um, and one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about is that you've been in the game for a while and you've seen this, especially probably accelerated more so right now, like this shift in the SDR role. And we did a webinar and my question specifically is we did a webinar with you and Rod from Zoom Info on how you guys had set, I can't remember if it was 1,500 meetings as SDRs or 15, something something crazy. And you made sure to preface, you're like, hey, you know, like that was, that might've been a little easier to do when I did it, (laughs) you know? And how have you seen this, this role kind of shift and morph just during your time in, in tech sales? Yeah, a hundred percent. So first of all, thanks for having me, uh, Jason. It's always a pleasure to, to speak with you here. So I've been in and around SDR orbits for about 10 years now, and and the shift has been unbelievable. And the the main trend that I've seen is there's just so much 
noise. There is so much junk. The rise of the sales engagement platform, while well-intentioned, has led to some pretty bad behaviors from salespeople. Like people, unfortunately, and, and leaders especially, are so focused on quote unquote scale that they lose sight of what I believe is the actual right way to do things, which is treating yeah. your prospects like humans and making a real effort to actually understand who they are, what matters to them, what problems they're having, and then crafting tailored messaging that responds to all of those things. Now, will those things be the same from time to time across personas? Of course they will. But no two people are the same. And if your tactics are treating everybody like the same person, they're not going to be effective. And so that's what we see. We see all of this quantity building up and up and up and the efficacy, the results, the impact, the meetings book, the pipeline created going down and down and down per rep. And those two things are very much linked. And that's the trend that I'm seeing. The people that are being successful are the ones that are bucking the trend, doing the hard things that don't scale. And the ones that are six are, are struggling are the ones that are just falling in line, clicking buttons mindlessly and ho- crossing their fingers and hoping for results. Yeah, what's funny is I was just talking to Mark Kosoglo, I think is how you pronounce his last name. He's old VP Catalyst. of sales at Outreach. Uh, and yeah, current CRO at Catalyst. And we were talking about sales engagement, like tools have not really been around for that long. It's, it's about 10, 11, 12 years. Um, when you first started as an SDR, were they using sales engagement tools or were you doing stuff manually? Like what was the, what did the process look like? I had a spreadsheet and Gmail. <laughs> that was, okay. that was my uh, sales engagement platform. And it was useful, Jason, because it, it like, I knew all of the prospects I was reaching out to by name. Like I was like, James, yeah. I'm going to send you an email today. Talking to myself, I'm going to send you an email today. You're going to respond. Today's the day. You know, I was doing all the work on LinkedIn. InMail at the time was much more reliable. So we were doing a lot of InMails. We just maybe a year, year and a half into my tenure as an SDR, we finally started to use Yesware at the time was one of the most um, yeah. broadly available and actually usable platforms. And and we could do what they called mail merges, which was sending 25 emails at a time. And I was like, oh my God, this is a game changer. But what yeah. I learned and, and the DNA that really stuck with me was this personalized approach of knowing your customer, knowing your prospects and really understanding who they are and taking the time to tailor the messaging, that never goes out of style. Like people want to be treated like people. They want to buy the way they want to buy, not the way you want to sell. So I think that sales engagement platforms allow for a lot of good things, but way too many shortcuts that people take advantage of and expect to be silver bullets and end up basically cannibalizing every other bit of outreach that's out there. And it turns into this downward spiral. Yeah, man. So this personalized approach, I, I used to use Tout, by the way. That was one of the first. Nice, yeah. No, tout up. Used Tout up. Um, definitely used Yesware a lot. But this personalized approach, was that taught to you at the time? Or did you just kind of learn that through the school of hard knocks, so to speak? Like, where did where did that kind of light bulb go off for you? Yeah, it's really interesting, Jason, because there's there's so much information out there, this, this podcast being one of the best sources of information for SDRs these days that you can go and and learn, but you can go and learn if you pay attention to the wrong stuff, you can go and learn the wrong things. And so it's kind of a double-edged yeah. sword. You need to make sure that you're uh, taking in information from people who actually know what they're talking about and have actually had sustainable success for over long periods of time. Otherwise, you're going to fall into traps that are, are again, going to create that vicious cycle. When I started 10 years ago, I had the 
sort of the benefit and the struggle of there not being a real playbook out there. Like there wasn't a lot to go off. Crazy, of. huh? <laughs> so I was falling back on other types of sales training, and I did a lot of door to door sales, uh, both on a B two C standpoint as well as a B two B standpoint, walking into businesses, knocking on doors in neighborhoods, and kind of had a sense of how people respond to me in person. I was like, why should a response in person be any different than a response virtually? I'm going to take a lot of the principles that work for me in the door-to-door setting, and I'm going to apply them to email and LinkedIn and cold calling and all the rest. And it worked pretty well. Like, I'm not just going to knock on somebody's door and immediately start pitching them something. I'm going to get to know them. I'm going to soften them up a little bit, understand what actually matters to them. And then if it's appropriate, I'm going to give some sort of value prop where I'm going to see if they're interested in learning more because that's what a buying process is. It's the buyer or the prospect learning about something new that perhaps they didn't know about before and ultimately deciding that it's something that they want to invest in. So it doesn't have to be rocket science. Like Treat the other person that you're reaching out to like a person and not like you know a robot or not like just the name in a spreadsheet or the name in your CRM, and you're going to have a lot better results. What's a, what did you do B2C door-to-door? Yeah, so um, a lot of different things. Uh, I grew up you know, doing fundraising and um, selling newspapers and selling whatever, basically, I could yeah. for sports teams or uh, groups I was in in high school or middle school or whatever. And then my one of the jobs that the internship that I had in college was selling basically yellow page ads for college directories. And so that was oh, my wow. when I went around doing business, uh, business to business stuff. And then I was a financial advisor for Edward Jones. So I got a lot of training for selling securities. And then part of the Edward Jones value prop is instead of having huge high rises, downtown areas of, of cities, they have all these little independent offices that you see in strip yeah. malls, basically. And that strip mall is meant to be embedded in a neighborhood. So your office is in your territory and your territory is neighborhoods. So I was going around, you know, perfect timing right after the great financial crisis in 20, 2010, yeah. trying to sell securities as a 22 year old. That was a little rough. Oh man, that's, that's a pretty rough thing. I feel like to sell door to door. I sold house painting services door to door for years nice. in college. Um, I feel like with financial stuff, it's, you're talking about something that people don't really like to talk about. <laughs> or don't know a lot about. Yeah, it's, it's all about trust. Yeah. It's all about trust. Yeah. And, and that's and it's very similar. And again, a lot of these principles apply. Like you really need yep. to understand somebody as a person, understand their their goals, um, make sure that they trust you to give actual information about their life and their aspirations and all those different things. Now, in a business setting, and certainly as an SDR, for the most part, you're probably selling B2B, a lot of this information is available. And a lot of SDRs just don't go about finding it. And so I know that Jason, you'll talk a lot about doing research and reading 10 Ks and and doing all these things. And yes, you should be doing that. And the overwhelming majority of SDRs don't do it. If you don't do that, and if you're prospecting, why should you expect somebody to pay attention to you? If you're not paying attention enough to them to go the extra mile to actually learn about what matters to them, then why the heck should they pay attention to you? And if it's not a public company and there's not a 10K or a public uh, investment report available, then like this little Google is a wonderful website. You can search whatever you want. And a lot of times what I search for is the company's name, CEO interview. 
And more often yeah. than not, you're going to find something really useful that you can go and, uh, you know, create some sort of hook around. And all it takes is that little bit of extra effort. Again, that just a, a generalized sequence in a sales engagement platform is not going to do the trick. You have to stand out. You have to go the extra mile. You have to really know who you're selling to so that you can give them a value prop that well, they'll actually care about. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely want to dig into that with you. I, uh, I feel like outbound is at a stage right now where it would be the equivalent of imagine if you had the whatever X amount of people knocking on your door per month. Imagine if that was like times 20 times 30, yep. then every single time someone knocked on your door, you would be immediately annoyed more so than you probably already are. That's kind of where outbound is at right now. It's like just even getting a cold email is just like, okay, well I got 30 other cold emails today. If you're an executive, you know, it's just another thing. And you're really big on this personalization and, and just showing the person, I love the examples that you share from emails that you get and, and just from your reps, just highlighting that. And there's always something about the other person or something about the company that's like, it's very obvious that this email was meant for them. So if we kind of step back and look at this from just kind of like high level principles, when you look at an email, for example, having a reason to reach out sounds like is the first kind of big thing for you. Um, how do you think about the reasons to reach out, the triggers, the part that you personalize? How do you think about like what a rep could think about in terms of like what they should look for? Mm -hmm. um, how those things fit into the actual reason why you're reaching out? Like how do you approach the the personalization piece? If someone's not doing a lot of that right now, what's a good way for them to get started? It's a great question, Jason. And a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of reps reason for reaching out to a person or an account is because that account is on their list. And they're like, it's just something I have to <laughs> yeah. do. You're on my list. And so I'm just going to send you a general thing. And obviously that is not good enough. That is how you become one of the hundreds or thousands of anonymous emails that don't get past the the mental spam filter that a lot of people have. A Will Allred from Lavender talks a lot about this mental spam filter and the things that you need to do to get beyond it. And personalization or resonance or relevance, whatever word you want to use, I don't really care. The thing that matters most is that the first line of your email needs to prove to them something that you just said, Jason, this email is for them and only them. And the reason I said the first line of your email is because that's what people can see before they open the email. So if you're burying that personalization or resonance or relevance, if you're burying that later in the email and you're starting your email with something more generic, like hope this email finds you well, they're not going to be as inclined to open the email. And as far as I know, people cannot reply to an email if they don't open it. So you need to optimize both for open rates and reply rates. Now, how do you actually find those things that matter to those people? I, I, in my personal opinion is that you should divide your prospects into two different camps. You have your above the line decision makers, budget owners, kind of the people that are, you know, quote unquote, the power, the authority, if you're uh, a Bant shop, which we can talk about later. Um, and then you have your below the line personas who are use case champions. Maybe they're going to be power users of your product and they, they're good uh, bastions of information, but they're maybe not necessarily going to have the juice to be able to move a deal forward. So above the line and below the line and your outreach strategies for them should be different. Below the line people, first of all, are much more readily available at the companies that you're reaching out to. So let's just use Clary as an example. We sell the chief revenue officers, uh, VPs of revenue operations, profiles like that. Those are above the line personas. But individual sales reps, individual managers of sales or revenue operations, CSMs, account managers, 
uh, SDRs, these are the people that are using our product every day. And so that's kind of our bifurcation above the line, below the line. For the people below the line, they typically will have a more normal, normalized day-to-day. Every single RDR, revenue development rep at Clary, is doing something pretty much the same way as every other RDR. And so you can assume if you have pain points and value props specifically for SDRs or RDRs, you can probably send a version of the same note to all 25 of our RDRs, and you're probably going to get a handful of bytes. And you can play more of a volume game down market. Now, what should your call to action be? What is the point of reaching out to an individual contributor? You might say, well, I can't create an opportunity or I can't create a meeting with that because that it doesn't satisfy our, our entry criteria and I can't set that up. Well, that's not necessarily the point here. The point of reaching out to an RDR on my team is asking them, what is going on at Clary right now? Give me five minutes. I have a handful of questions for you about the way that you're forecasting or the way you're booking meetings or the outbound tooling that you have or whatever it is. And then you can leverage that information in your above the line strategies. And you reach out to me and you say, Hey, Kyle, I just talked to Angelo and Sarah and Emily, and they told me this, this, and this is happening. We can help solve that. Are you interested in learning more? And of course, I'm going to pay attention to that because that first line in the email, you just name drop three people on my team that I love and care about. And you're telling me that they are having problems. Yes, I'm going to pay attention. So you can do a little bit more generalized. I don't want to say mass blast, but more generalized emails around pain points to your below the line personas. And then for above the line personas, you need to be more personalized and you can leverage the things that you learn from the below the line folks, or you can leverage the research that you find online. Like Google around, look at CEO interviews, look at press releases, read the 10Ks, try and find real moments that matter for the executives and for the most part that you're reaching out to above the line and tie your value prop to those things. If you can do a combination of those things, is it easy? No, of course not. Nothing worthwhile in life is easy to do. So you have to go the extra mile and you have to try and find the way to satisfy both of those different types of personas and create meaningful and impactful uh, messaging, especially for the above the line folks. Yeah. So yeah, I think that that Skip Miller wrote a great book on this too, selling above and below the line. It's just like that context of what do people care about in different types of jobs. I I even see very experienced account executives sometimes not uh, approach buyers in that way um, throughout the sales process. So with the below the lines, I'm what I think would be good for people to hear is the psychology behind this because again, like a unique perspective you have is that you you can get very tactical, but you're also an executive. And you just said that, oh, hey, if you mentioned these three people on my team in a, in a problem and like you let me know, like, yeah, that's going to get my attention. And I'm curious, just so people can kind of understand that a little bit better. If someone was playing devil's advocate to that, they might say, well, how how could people on your team be having these problems and you not know about? Like, what am I sharing with you that's new? Can you kind of explain like the value of a sales professional bringing insights from below the line folks up to above the line? Like, how is that valuable to you? Just so people can understand that. Yeah, sure thing, Jason. So um, I'm going to run the risk of sounding somewhat arrogant here, and that is certainly not the case. I'm just trying to explain the reality of the role. And the reality of the role that I have right now is I am one, two, three layers removed from individual RDRs, uh, revenue development reps. So as much as I love and empathize and try and keep my finger on the pulse of of what they're doing, it's impossible for me to do that because I, I speak with Uh, each individual contributor on the team, not nearly as frequently as I would like to. 
Now I, I speak with their managers and I speak with our director quite a bit, but they're not always going to be telling me all the warts and all the pain points and all the things that aren't going well. The individual contributors are much more honest. It's great. It's wonderful. Yeah. Like they, they are the ones that typically will, will give a lot of insights. I just don't have as much time to speak with them as I used to. So you as a rep, if you're going to go and you're going to do that fact finding for me and you're going to distill the things that are going well or the things that are painful in our process and you can feed me that information, it's super valuable. You just saved me probably a few hours of time of going and sleuthing and trying to find the truth and uh, you know doing all the things that you need to do to understand what's real and what's not. And you've surfaced something to me that's actually valuable. You know, We talk a lot from an outbound standpoint about adding value to a person's life. Well, telling them about the inner workings of their own team is really valuable. And Clary's only a 700-person company. Imagine if you're reaching out to a large enterprise, you know, a 10,000-person company, and you're reaching yeah. out to my equivalent at that company. How many layers removed are they? They probably never have their finger on the pulse because they just don't have time. That's not their job at that point. So you can help them generate these insights about things that they would probably like to know. They just don't have time to know. And and at the same time, you're showing them that you are going above and beyond the call of duty and that you're really investing your own time in learning about them, about their company, about what how, what you can do to really help them. And that's going to stand out. Yeah. So if we were to get tactical here, just so people can kind of understand what, like how a buyer might react to that. Cause I think this is important to know if you got an email from someone, let's say it was me and you didn't know who I was. And I reached out and said, I've been talking to your RDRs. And you know, one of the things I found is that they're doing this specific thing. That's, that's probably keeping them from booking an extra meeting or two per week. Yeah. What do you do when you get that email? Do you forward it off to those people? Do you share it in Slack? Like what is the thing that you do right after that? Yeah. So it's a great question, Jason. And, and this actually happened about a year ago or maybe closer to 18 months ago with a company called Groove. And Groove is a sales engagement platform. And yep. their uh, RDR team or their SDR, I should say, did a fantastic job of exactly this. They reached out to uh, you know a handful of people that are on our team and as well as a handful of the managers that uh, SDR managers that we have. And they did some sleuthing about what we liked about outreach, what we didn't like about outreach, yada, 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 what the pain points were. And then they sent me this exact note that said, hey, here's my listening tour that I've been on with XYZ people. Here's what I learned. Here's the good things about outreach. Here are the things that need a little work. And here's what we can do to help. And I was like, holy smokes, this is unbelievable. Like, thank you. And so to answer yeah. your question, first thing I did was send that to our director uh, of RDR at the time. His name is Alex. He's now a uh, individual rep. He just moved into the sales realm. So very happy for him. Um, cool. And said, Alex, what, what's going on here? Is, is this on your radar? Has they been, have they been working with your team? And he said, yeah, of course. I've had a meeting with them. Uh, we're in talks to do XYZ. Just need your go ahead to go and explore this. Um, so th that's kind of the workflow that I have. And I expect that's pretty similar for other people. If you're going to mention, first of all, don't lie, don't make any of this up because it's probably going to get back to people. So, uh, expect that the note that you're sending to you know, the folk, the folks above the power line, it's probably going to get forwarded down and across the rest of the org to validate mm -hmm. that you are actually doing what you're saying you're doing and to see like, Hey, what's our current level of engagement with these people? When or how should I get involved and, you know, help shepherd me through the next steps? Yeah. Are you allowed to say, did you guys move to Groove? We did. Yeah. We moved to Groove uh, oh, just over a year ago. Nice. Yeah. Okay. It worked. That's so it cool. Um, so one thing I talk a lot about is multi-threading too. And you sort of illuminated the fact that, 
I'm so bullish right now on prospecting does not stop after you get the first meeting. You're still prospecting. And correct me if I'm wrong. One thing, what I heard from you just now is that you're totally okay with someone having a conversation with the person that manages the RDRs in your team and then surfacing the insights from that conversation to you. That doesn't piss you off in any kind of way or be like, oh, what's this guy doing talking to you? You're going to go investigate it and make sure it's legit because people do that kind of stuff, unfortunately, in, in deceiving ways sometimes. But that actually helped this deal. Can you talk a little bit more about, and again, I think the perspective is interesting from you is because you can talk about being on the buying side too. For sure. So I, this is the way that I operate, Jason. I, and I know it's a way that a lot of other kind of C-level or VP-level people operate. It's not true for everybody. So you know, if, if you employ this tactic and somebody gets mad at you, don't come at me all angry because no, not everybody's the same. And some people will react differently. But the, the folks that I know, especially the, the ones who are operating well and efficiently, they'll operate as such. My, from a budget standpoint, from a decision-making standpoint, from a process standpoint, my job is to hire the right people that can actually go and do those things. So when I have a director of revenue development, it's not so that I can tell her how to do her job. It's because I have faith that she is going to be a good leader, a good process manager. She's going to inspire the troops and she is going to effectively leverage the budget that she has. My job is not to go in and tell her exactly how to do her job or how to spend the money. So my expectation is that she is always keeping her finger on the pulse of what tools or processes or best practices or whatever are out there to increase her team's performance. If she's not doing that, that is a problem. So if you, as the person reaching out to me or her, if you can help her do that, her name's Maya, by the way, she's fantastic. If you can help Maya do her job better and deliver on the pipeline goals and the opportunity goals that we have, like I'll be thrilled. Like you're helping us do our job. You're helping the company hit its pipeline and revenue targets. Like why on the earth should I be upset about that? And that's the way that I operate across the the rest of the folks that I have mm-hmm. on my team. It's it's not about me making all the decisions and ruling with an iron fist. That's crazy. I'm not, as we just talked about, I'm not close enough to the day-to-day processes to be able to make informed decisions like that. So I have to delegate, yeah. I have to defer, and I have to trust and I do trust the people on my team to go and do what is right for their teams. So no problems at all from my perspective. In fact, I I want you to go and engage with those people so that they can be always, like I said, finger on the pulse of the things that they need and that their team needs to be successful. One more question on multi-threading. And we could use a real example with Maya, let's say specifically. What advice would you have with a rep to make sure that when they are doing this type of multi-threading, that they do it in a way that doesn't alienate her, where it looks like I'm going above your head. This is the number one fear that I hear from reps with multi-threading, whether that's an SDR helping their account executive multi-thread or an account executive that should be doing that. It's how do I do this in a way that doesn't piss this person off yeah. and feel like I'm going above their head? Yeah. It's a great question, Jason, because again, you you are running that risk and some people on certain days will have adverse reactions to pretty much anything you do. And this type of multi-threading <laughs> <Good point laughs> is definitely one of those things. So, um, it, you know, I, I have seen and I have received and I have sent a version of the email that says, hey, uh, Mr. or Mrs. CEO, CTO or whatever, FYI, I'm reaching out to a handful of folks on your team so I can get a better understanding of what's going on. I'll keep you posted on what I learned. And that's it. That's yep. the email. 
So now I've just sent them a little primer to put myself on their radar, tell them what's going on, and they may respond to me and tell me to shut it down and fine, whatever, nothing you can do about that. And that's never happened to me or anybody I've heard of before. And more often than not, I'll get a response that just says something like, thanks, keep me posted. Okay, cool. On to the next. So get ahead of the objection early if you can and send a a little email like that to the the main decision maker or the main persona that you really want to get the attention of and just let them know what you're what you're up to i'm walking the halls at your company trying to learn about how we may be able to help if there's something there i'll be in touch if not no skin off your back talk to you soon that's it yeah it's such a simple play that and again i the only time i've ever heard of this is someone put something on linkedin i thought was kind of funny and it was a screenshot of someone responding in a negative way. And the point of the post was, if this doesn't happen at least once to you in your career, you're not like, you're not aggressive is the wrong word for this, but you're not pushing the envelope enough, yeah. you know, in this area. So, okay. So <laughs> multi-threading, if we kind of, we kind of button that up a bit, it sounds like the keys here are that it, it, it's, it can be very effective when done properly. And you as an executive you want to be kept in the loop so that you can do everything in your power to empower the people yes. that work with you, right? And to help them make uh, good decisions and to, and to know what's going on. And the other well, thing I think that you shared too that's important is, and it's, I think we have to reiterate this because if you're listening to this and in, in you're a rep, odds are that you probably haven't been an SVP or someone in the C-suite at the types of companies you reach out to. That's kind of the reality of the situation. Most of the time, we haven't done the job of the people that we're reaching out to. So I think it's important to understand that too, that the person you're talking to is like four or five, six layers removed oftentimes from the user of your product. So it's just really helpful for them to know what's going on and can save them a lot of time. Exactly. Um, So we had started off talking about personalization and the reasons for reaching out. What I kind of gathered from that and this will segue well into death of the SDR, potentially. We could talk about that. What you just outlined is something that right now, AI is not going to do those things. Right. It might help you find some of those things, but you're talking about, like, what stuck out to me, you said going above and beyond. Mm-hmm. And I never really thought about outbound like that. Like, what are you doing to go above and beyond? Because it's it works like that in every other area of your life. Why wouldn't it work like that? <laughs> When you're trying to get a meeting with someone. So what do you think based on how things have gone, especially in the last you know, six, 12 months with the economy and mm-hmm. like, is the SDR position going to become something else? Is it going to go away? What are your yeah, thoughts? It's, it's, it's a really good question, Jason. And I'll answer that in a second, but I, I want to say that a lot of the things that you and I have just talked about for the last 20 or 30 minutes, you probably won't hear too frequently or too popularly across LinkedIn channels or other podcasts or whatever it may be, because it's hard and because Mm -hmm. it quote unquote doesn't scale and because it's hard and because it doesn't scale and because it's not easy, people are not going to be championing this as a methodology or as an avenue for success for you. So keep that in mind. Um, And just, you know, like I said earlier, make sure that the advice you're taking, take it with a grain of salt and understand that you, you need to curate the advice, curate the processes, curate the things that you're hearing, and make sure that you have your own little filter to separate the signal from the noise. And when you hear an idea that sounds like it's too easy, it probably isn't going to work. 
<laughs> so that's yeah. one little mental filter you can set up for yourself. If you're hearing about a strategy or a tactic where you're like, oh man, that's new. That's going to require me to build a new muscle. That's going to require some brain power. That's not something I could go and execute today. That probably means no one else is doing it. And if no one else is doing it, that means you're going to stand out. You're going to break through the noise. You're going to be the one of the 367 billion emails that are sent every day, 367 billion every day. How are you going to stick out of that? Well, you need to do the things that other people aren't doing. So keep that in mind and use this as a filter for how you decide what to do and what not to do. I'm going to pause there, see if you have a reaction, and then I want to respond to the death of the SDR. Well, you've mentioned this a couple of times, so I think it's important to get your take on it. Um, you said curate your own advice and have a filter. And oh man, there's it's tough with LinkedIn content and sales content in general. I don't know about you. I am so hyper, hyper aware of I have never shared a single LinkedIn post about something you should go do if I have not either had success with it myself or implement it with a client. Yes. I just haven't done that. And I know a lot of people that post stuff they do. And one side of me is such a super fan for anyone that is bold enough to post content and just open themselves up to the masses to be judged, which you and I have both been on the receiving end of that. Um, it's like anyone that does that, I'm like all for. And then the other part is it is... I don't know. That's kind of irresponsible to, to recommend this thing, but really the responsibility is on the consumer is really how I look at it. Yeah. Can you kind of zoom in there a little bit on like when you say curating your own advice and looking at things through a filter, what are some of the boxes that people should be thinking about stuff checks off before they lean all in into that strategy or that approach or whatever it might be, or that template or script or whatever other stuff they're consuming? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I, I need to be careful here, Jason, because I tend to agree with you that I, I love how easy it is for people to share their own tactics and share their own advice. And it's cool. It's empowering and, and people should do it. it. It makes you a better thinker. It makes you a better writer to put yourself out there uh, on LinkedIn. So I don't want to disparage anybody um, necessarily. <laughs> However, if you're going to go and have some sort of, you know, serious, like just say a heart surgery or something like that. You probably want to go to a surgeon who's been around the block for a little while. You probably yeah. want to go to the person who's done 200 of these things, not somebody who's, Hey, it's day one, just got a residency here. I'm give me the scalpel. Like you probably want somebody who's got a little bit more experience, who's seen a little bit more, um, who, who, who has gone through, as you said, Jason, the, the roller coaster themselves has been in your shoes and therefore can actually give advice that is rooted in durable success and not in a, you know, flash in the pan success. So look, my advice to you is look for people that have a proven track record, not people that bounce around at a different SDR role every four months. And, you know, you're like, oh, you can't keep a job for more than six months. And yet you're, you want me to give you a hundred dollars for a course on how to do this? Like if it doesn't pass the sniff test, probably not worth investing in. Um, so look for people that have a little bit more experience. And that doesn't necessarily mean that have a huge following. It just means people that have been in your shoes for some extended amount of time and have a proven track record of success and can speak to that success and prove their data points or prove their success rather with data points. So try and keep a, a mental filter around for the type of person you're reaching out to their experience level and how they make their arguments, how they can defend their arguments. And hopefully it's quantitative and not just qualitative. 
So that that's one thing I would yeah. say. And then the other thing I'll reiterate is if you're looking for a silver bullet, if you're looking for the easy path to success, if you're looking for the four hour workday, you're in the wrong job. It doesn't exist. And so if the only advice that you take and you try and execute is the advice that allows for shortcuts or promotes shortcuts, you're not going to succeed in your current role or in your career. So try and skate toward the advice where you're like, huh, that's that's a little unorthodox. That's a little unusual. That looks sounds pretty high effort. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this, but I'm going to learn how to try. And if you can skate toward that kind of advice, I think you're going to end up learning a lot more, applying your own techniques or your own spin on those techniques, and therefore enjoying the work a lot more and, and having a lot more success as a result. Yeah, I love that. It's uh, I, th- I really think that's the skill right now is being able to quickly consume information because it's in such abundance and then to be, to be able to put it through a filter, a bullshit filter really, and figure yeah. out, is this something that's good or bad? And the other thing that I would recommend to specifically with sales advice is if it's from a rep, the easiest way to do it, most reps post their numbers in their LinkedIn. Yep. Look at Sarah Brazier's LinkedIn profile. Yep. It's like, boom, boom, crushing quota every single quarter. You know what I mean? Like stuff like that is, I think, super important. And then, like you said, the, the social proof, if it's someone like myself, what kind of clients has the person worked with? Are there tests? It's like basic, basic stuff that if it feels like an infomercial and looks like one of those like diet pills, you know, kind of thing, it's probably not good to do. Exactly. Um, cool. So death of the SDR, where's this thing heading? <laughs> We've been keeping people on the hook know, for right? 40 minutes. <laughs> Let's give the people yeah. what they want. It's the title of the podcast, and we're, we're just now getting to it because we're both nerds and we love this stuff. Um, so is the SDR role going to die? Uh, AI and robots stealing your job. Um, the the AI and, and robots are going to kill bad SDRs. Yep. They're going to destroy the tactics that we just <laughs> were talking crap about for the last <laughs> 40 minutes. Uh, yeah. They're going to destroy all of those things, the volume-based approach, the spray and pray methodology, the, those types of things that are scalable right now. That's what's going to get replaced by AI. So is the SDR role going to die? No, I don't believe it is. Is it going to evolve? Absolutely, yes. And I think in the best possible way, all around the things that we just talked about. And the way that I would recommend, you know, if I were, and I'm doing this today in my own role, let alone, you know, if I were an SDR, I'd do the same exact thing, which is leverage AI to help you do your job better. Treat AI like your chief of staff. If you need to, for example, go and read that you're trying to prospect into Coca-Cola and they just had their earnings report and you have this 10K that's 100 pages long. Instead of going through, and this is what I used to do and spend an hour going through that 10K and pulling out the things that I need to pull out, upload it to ChatGPT or Google Bard or whatever, and ask for a little summary of what the highlights are and what the key priorities are for the upcoming fiscal year. Boom. And now instead of taking an hour to do that, it took two minutes to do that and you're saving time. So you're using AI as your chief of staff and you're evolving the role of the SDR to be way less about and not at all about spray and pray and way more about meaningful, impactful outreach with business outcomes that are actually going to matter to people. Yeah, we have a very similar take on this. It's And I've heard other people use this analogy where AI is more like an Iron Man suit yeah. than like a Terminator. I don't know if you watch. Did you watch Terminator 2 as a kid? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Terminator T2, dude. Um, but it's le- less of a uh, less of a Terminator 2 type of situation where AI is 
going to completely take over a role and you know, that sort of stuff. Because I think people have this fear. There's a lot of fear mongering out there with AI. And I haven't honestly talked about it publicly a lot because I'm kind of unsure. It moves so fast. What I'm waiting for, and you have some cool stuff that you guys are doing at Clary, but I'm kind of waiting to see how a lot of the Clary's and the grooves and the outreaches and all these folks of the world how they start incorporating this in because yeah. once that starts happening on a mass scale it's going to be like I'll give you an example I think like okay let's use the conversational intelligence tools and and actually revenue intelligence with Clary you guys correct me if I'm wrong it's been a while since I've looked in the platform but you can spotlight in a deal if it's not properly multi-threaded for example Right. You got all these signals that it's like, holy shit, cool. I can tell across our two, three, four, five hundred reps that 40% of these deals are single threaded. And specifically for, you know, here's what that looks like across the different teams. And like, that's awesome to be able to do that. To me, what feels like the next level of that, that AI will help do is, okay, now let's, based on how other deals have come together, let's start to suggest people that should be a part of this deal. Bingo. And then I think the next step too, and this is where folks that do what I do come in, come in, uh, come into play is, okay, I know I should be multi-threading to these three or four other people, but how do I do it in a way like we just talked about before? Like, what's the how? What is the tactic yeah. of actually doing it? And then suggest like messaging for you to send or walk you through a sample talk track of what that might sound like when you're talking to your primary point of contact. That's the thing that, you could tell me right now that you're like, yeah, this is like, we're doing this already, or we're about to do this. Um, so correct me if I'm wrong. That's the part I feel like that's the next level yeah. that I can't imagine when sales teams start getting their hands on stuff like that, that's going to be a little scary because it like raises the floor Yeah, where everyone is doing something at a moderate level of excellence. And the 10Ks and the researching, the people that should be a part of this deal, like all of the hard brunt like work, the grunt work is being done for you. I think that's going to be really kind of scary when it comes to that. It's like, how do we differentiate ourselves? I don't know. It's, it seems like we're kind of like pretty far away from that level of sophistication. Yeah, we're probably- You tell not, me though, I, you're more on the front lines of this stuff than I am. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, uh, Nobody knows, Jason, because the, the rate- at which AI capabilities are increasing is compounding. So every week when I'm looking through Twitter threads or listening to podcasts or whatever, I'm just blown away by <laughs> what, what kind of capabilities there are on AI. So I'm not going to comment on timeline because I think it'd be foolish to say like with any d- definitiveness that it's two years out or five years out or whatever, like who knows? I would guess probably sooner than later is when the capabilities that you just talked through will probably come to pass. And certainly at Clary, we're working on things that are in that vein already, as I mentioned before, AI is the chief of staff for salespeople. Now, what we're me- what we're talking about here is increasing productivity for every individual rep. So will the, let's just use the SDR role, but you could apply this to AEs or CSMs or account managers or whatever. Any individual contributor role has is going through a similar sort of existential crisis right now. So in the SDR role, will it die? No, but will ratios of AE to SDR, will those extend? Probably a little bit. Instead of a two to one ratio, two AEs for one SDR, maybe it goes to three to one because your SDRs can be more productive, something like that. 
or maybe the, the pipeline numbers will increase because you're able to uh, blitz through a lot of that grunt work, a lot of that research, and you can leverage that in outreach and you can get more meaningful activity out the door. And so I think pro- from a productivity standpoint, there will be pretty significant gains for the SDRs that are willing to go and be on the front, you know, the front lines and learn how to leverage these technologies. And then ultimately it'll be just become part of the job. At the same time, what can SDRs do to increase their value beyond prospecting? And I think that when I talk about the evolution of the SDR role, and, you know, if we want to be more dramatic and call it the death of the SDR role, it's morphing into a truer inside sales function where SDRs are managing trials. They're uh, doing more discovery. They're doing more demos. They're getting more product knowledge. They're more responsible further down the opportunity lifecycle than they are right now. For the most part, SDRs are setting up a meeting or an opportunity, wiping their hands, handing it off to an AE and going and hunting the next thing. I think that that is probably going to shift and it's going to shift pretty soon. I think the impetus for SDRs will be much more on sharpening your sales skills and sharpening your product and your demo skills so that you can have more skin in the game to add value to the sales process. So you can more deeply qualify a deal perhaps before you hand it off to an AE. Or maybe there are certain circumstances where an SDR is full cycle and is running the entire deal end to end because they are so much better equipped now and they have so much more time to learn all of these things, the time that AI is saving them. So that's the way that I think about things is that evolution. So it's, I think the onus is on individual contributors. And again, we'll use SDRs right now as, as the example to go and a learn how to leverage the AI tools that exist. B learn how to sharpen your sales skills beyond the email writing and the cold calling and the prospecting type things into discovery and qualification, demos, product knowledge, negotiation, learn your sales cycle. And also if you have a PLG motion or if you have a free trial motion, go and learn how you can get involved in that. Managing trials is not easy and you could become maybe more of a SE kind of function here and more deeply qualify those deals again to to, uh, create higher velocity pipeline for your company. Those types of skills are never going to go out of style because the person on the other end of the line, the prospect, is a person until it's a robot buying software, which I think is way far out. You still are going to, it's going to require human interaction. Like people do not want to buy complex software from robots. That's already been proven. They want and need the human touch. They need the guidance. They need the seller that can shepherd them through a process. And I think that's going to be the way that SDR roles evolve is to become more of the shepherds that are helping buyers make uh, smart decisions. You know, what's interesting is what you just shared reminds me of a quote from Chase Jarvis. It's specialization is for insects. And it was this, hey, you actually, like, it's more valuable for you to be pretty good in multiple areas than to be, like, really, really good at one thing. And I feel like prospecting is one of those things. I don't want to be in the top one percentile of prospecting and then not know how to sell. I'm way more valuable valuable being in the top 20 percentile of both areas. And then you add the SE component onto it. It's like you talk about being buyer-centric. Like I want every rep on the team to be able to have a conversation about my business priorities, problems that are getting in the way. I want them to have the executive uh, presence to be able to speak to like my VP if I introduce them to them. I want them to have the product knowledge. So that's a really interesting take. I 
I love, I'm already starting to see a trend with a lot of organizations moving into this ISR, this inside yep. sales rep model. Yep. And I think that what's really powerful about it is, dude, this is the conflict Kyle I run into like in our coaching program. And SDR comes to me with a question around how to approach their accounts and a meeting that they're trying to land. The advice I have to give them is in conflict with what it would be if they were an account executive because mm-hmm. they get comped on the meeting. Yep. So I'm like, well, like my duty to you as my customer is to help make sure you make more money in a way that's like, okay, with your company. And I always catch myself saying that if you were an account executive, I give you different advice. And I hate to say that, but I'm like, the incentive is just, it's so misaligned in most companies, you know? Um, okay. Let's talk specifically about what are, are you guys using chat GPT for anything or, or are you just you personally? Can you talk about that a little bit more? Because I, I feel like if you don't, if you're a rep right now and you don't at least have a free chat GPT account, what the heck are you doing, dude? <laughs> pay the 20 really bucks right. too, by the way, for the premium, like yeah. just pay 20 bucks a month. Like, um, and it's been hard for me, honestly, to make it a habit to where I open it up and it's the first place I go to versus going to Google. It's starting to become my search engine of choice, you know, it but, is my homepage. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So what are, what are you using it for? And like, what do you see sales teams, where can they start to get immediate benefits? You've mentioned a couple of things, but where can they start to use this? And I, and I do want you to mention like, what's Clary doing in this space? Cause you guys are doing a lot of really cool stuff with AI right now. Yeah. I'll, I'll start with Clary. Um, and then I'll, I'll go into the more, um, bespoke use cases for, for SDRs or people that are prospecting for, for Clary, the way that we are leveraging AI and it's just the tip of the iceberg. We have very cool things coming on the horizon. But we have two main uh, use cases for AI right now. Again, AI is the chief of staff for the salesperson, one of which is meeting summaries. So we have conversation intelligence product, we call it Wingman. And Wingman pops into your Zoom meetings. And it will in real time, it's the meeting is being transcribed. And then our AI engine is going in and summarizing those meetings and pulling out the key topics that were discussed as well as the next steps and surfacing that in a flash. So instead of you having to go through and read the transcript or, you know, be taking notes the whole time or whatever it may be, the AI is doing that for you. And it does it with unbelievable accuracy. Like it's spooky how useful it is. That's one. The second use case is what we call smart battle cards. So smart battle Mm -hmm. cards are in real time. Like Jason, if we were on a sales call right now and I was selling to you, let's just say versus gong. And I was talking about the, uh, the benefits of wingman and you mentioned the word gong. The battle card is going to pop up on my screen only. You can't see it. And all the enablement material that our team has created about Gong, AI is sifting through all that enablement material and surfacing the things that I should be talking about to best yeah. respond to your comment or overcome your objection or whatever it may be. So it's it's really cool. <laughs> um, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I can't, uh, if you hear me clicking around, by the way, I'm just like looking at my wingman instance right now. <laughs> I'm, I use wingman, a big fan of it. Um, it's a... Uh, I think you hit on something there that's like really big with AI. It's the theme of the conversation today is there's like a shit ton of information out there that's like available to you. And a lot of the game right now is like how to find the information really quickly that you need. And like my wife used to, uh, she was an account executive for a company. I won't mention the name, but it's like, she was an SMB account executive. And there was like four or five different, products that she had to sell to four or five different personas. And this is an SMB type of thing. And it's like, it's crazy. Just having a quick customer story pop up uh, for someone when you need it, or someone asked about price 
And it's like, oh, hey, here's some general talking points just to kind of like jog your memory a bit. That is just such a big game changer because it's like the thing that I, I've, I've started obsessing over because I, I'm always thinking about how do I get better impact out of the training that I do? And the format that someone receives your training, like a talk track, let's say, if you just observe how they use it, it's like, no one's going to have a Google doc open with like one page over on the other screen using it. Like that's like too much different stuff. It needs to be in the tool that they're using. Yeah. And it needs to be populated. I think just like the ease of access, I don't know about you. Like that's the thing I feel like you guys are really fixing where it's like, it's just spoon feeding you stuff. It doesn't require me to, those are the perfect, like that's the perfect software in my opinion is the stuff that just happens that you don't have to engage with it manually in order for it to, in order to get value from it. It's, uh, it's working. Yeah. We're, we're on the exact same page. And again, plenty more coming from Clary soon. Um, to, to respond to the more bespoke use cases, again, of, let's just say chat GPT, although Google Bard does something similar, is your team and at the size of the company you're at, it, this will be different. If you're at a super small startup and you have no enablement support, like chat GPT should be your best friend. And if you're at a large yeah. company and you have all this persona information, all these docs and all the how-to guides and all this, like Yes, use it, but double check with with the resources you have at your disposal. And in this case, it's ChatGPT for persona based pain points, persona based research. So go to go to ChatGPT right now and just ask, hey, what's most top of mind for my buyer title in my industry, and see what it says. And you're going to get you know 200 words and a handful of bullet points. And sometimes it'll be stuff you already know, and sometimes it'll be net new, and that's awesome. Like that's the type of thing that, that you can go and do. So bolstering your persona research, I mentioned summarizing 10 Ks or summarizing articles, you can just upload the text and ask it to spit out the summary and it'll do that pretty quickly. The other thing I'd say, and this is kind of next level is we talked a lot about personalization and a lot of people struggle bridging the gap between personalization and a value prop for their company. And you can leverage AI to do this. So for example, if you go to my LinkedIn, you'll see that I say I'm a runner and I have a couple corgis and they're the best dogs. You can go to chat and so let's just say you're selling me a sales engagement software. We talked a lot about that today. You could go to ChatGPT and say, hey, ChatGPT, can you please write me an, an analogy between corgis and email writing, cold email writing, and see what it says. And it can help you develop that segue from the research to your value prop based on any hobby or any research or anything that you do about a person. So be curious, be inventive, go in and ask questions that you are struggling with and prime the pump and, and let it see. And will you always get a perfect answer? No, of course not. But you'll get something that is useful and something that you can leverage in your outreach. That's crazy. Kyle AC from uh, MongoDB. I don't know if you know Kyle or not. Um, he was on the podcast and the persona stuff you talked about. Yeah. Like we did it together and I was blown away because he had like a piece of content on it. I was blown away at what it spit out. You have to give it some good prompts, which is kind of the game right now, but right. <sighs> okay, dude, this is my vision for sales engagement. Okay. I think w imagine if, uh, you know, outreach or whoever, if they were able to aggregate all of the recordings and all of that kind of stuff, like Claire, you guys have that now with Wayne, man. And you could start to like recommend to people what personas care about based on what people share in conversations. And it like starts to help you write the email. Cause that's the thing that let me know what you think. 
and I know we're about out of time, is that I think the challenge is actually not writing the email as much as it is knowing what to put in the email. 100%. That's what a lot of people I feel like are missing is like, oh, I don't actually understand what common priorities are for this persona in the challenges they deal with. Spot on. You're exactly right. And so again, the AI engine agent is not stealing your job. It is making you more productive, making you more effective if you leverage it the right way. So yeah. I do have to jump right now, Jason, but um, this has been super interesting. I, I uh, always love these conversations with you. Yeah. Real quick before you take off, where can people go to connect with you and learn more about what you guys are up to? Yeah. So all things Clary, if you're uh, looking for forecasting software, you're looking for a revenue platform, Clary.com. It's C-L-A-R-I. We have conversational intelligence, sales analytics. We have uh, mutual action planning. We have uh, forca- forecasting automation. We have it all. It's, it's really amazing platform. Um, if you're interested in connecting with me, just check me out on LinkedIn. I try and post, you know, three, four times a week on topics, exactly what we're talking about here. So Kyle Coleman on LinkedIn and give me a follow. 